Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to Bottoming, the podcast about LGBTQ mental health, rock bottoming, and beyond. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BottomingPod or visit BottomingPodcast.com for more content relating to each episode. We've also added a support page to direct you to the right place if you're struggling or need someone to talk to. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe. Hi, my name is Brendan. And my name is Matthew. And our pronouns are he and him. It's our final LGBTQ History Month episode. Oh my gosh, the final one. I mean, it's gone so fast this month, actually. It has. If you've been sticking with us all month. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, this week, we are going to be chatting to Alim Karaj um, about his upcoming book, Queer London, which is a guide to the city's LGBTQ plus past and present And we'll be also speaking to Sarah Moore from London LGBTQ Community Centre. And no, it is not what Brittany was referring to in that meme. (laughs) She is a friend of. She's a friend of. We are a part of. Soon to be visitor of. Soon to be free to access any (gasps) time. Yes. We both watched that documentary this week, actually. Mm -hmm. For anyone that hasn't seen um, Framing Brittany, Mm -hmm. in the UK anyway, it's now on Sky um sky documentaries highly recommended i mean i was a huge britney fan Mm. and i remember being like maybe seven years old i think well that's when baby one more time came out and i had it on um cassette tape (laughs) and i would play it and pause it and write down the lyrics so Mm. i could articulate the fuck (laughs) out of that song (laughs) and i did honestly (laughs) I did try and get down the stronger performance with a kitchen chair <gasps> in the kitchen. I mean, that's an accident waiting to happen. It wasn't the most Jeez. nimble of, of kitchen chairs either. I'm I wonder how big, many little gay wooden. boys <laughs> broke their arms <laughs> trying to, trying to trying reenact, to reenact. <laughs> oh, I love uh, it. <laughs> yeah, um, Grace Medford actually wrote a really great article about um, not only Britney, but other women and pop stars who kind of all faced similar levels of um rampant misogyny essentially um from the same sort of time period so would recommend that was in the guardian um so yeah check that out grace's at on twitter is at one of those faces we also had something really fun happen this week um acast uh included us in our in their lgbt history month content Go take a go take a watch. It's now on their highlights on their Instagram page at Acast Podcasts. So for anyone that doesn't know, Acast is the podcast provider. So it's where we upload our podcast to. Um and then that allows all of you whatever place you're listening to us on, whether that is the Acast app, whether that is Spotify, 
Apple Podcasts. Um, Acast is the the provider that we use that um, gets us out there. Um, and they've been really supportive. They asked us to do some History Month content for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we spoke about an LGBT history icon that we feel everyone should know. Um, a moment in history that we think everyone should know. Um, and also what we what we feel that everyone should take um, with them. Mm-hmm. Kind of in their, in their daily lives, yeah, moving forward. So yeah, as Brendan said, definitely check that out. And thanks again, Acast, for including us. Thank you. So Matthew, um, riddle me this. How come every time you come around my London, London bridge, <laughs> want to go down like... <sighs> you know, we were going to speak about a little bit about our gayness in, uh, mm-hmm. in, 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 in the big old smoke, because... That is the the topic of Alim's book. Fantastic mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually thinking about this really. And I think, again, I feel like this is like a, you know, round robin tour of my shame. But <laughs> I had a lot of this stuff going on. So I, I didn't interact much with, with the with the LGBT community while mm-hmm. I was in London. Luckily, I've got a chance to go back to the city in a couple of months. Not that I was, like, removed, but I re- removed myself. Um, but I think the gayest thing that I did in the six and a half years that I was there was have sex with a man, which is <laughs> I mean, that is quite gay. That is quite gay, yeah. I would say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably the top, top yeah. thing. Well... But I was actually, I do actually want to say that when I arrived to London, I was so lucky to land myself in a beautiful house with a group of people who happened to be straight Mm -hmm. and they all knew each other from school. And I had some of the best experiences with them. And I just want to appreciate, I just want to throw out there, really appreciate them, love them. And can't wait to see them again. Yeah. I, on the other hand, <laughs> um, <laughs> jumped headfirst when <laughs> I first moved to London. Yeah. Um, my first day <laughs> in London, actually. So the day that I moved, and me and a friend that moved down at the same time, also gay, um, were like, oh my God, we're in London. We have to go to Soho. <laughs> so we went to Soho. It was like, I don't know. Thursday night, Friday night, maybe. Um, I think the police at the time was called Man Bar. That Man we ended Bar. up going to. We'd been to, yeah, we kind of went out in the early afternoon. We'd been to, like, um, the Duke of Wellington. We'd been to Old Compton's. We'd been to GAY. And then there was one on, um, I forget the name of the road, but it was called Man Bar. It was like, the, like a really, it, it was just a bar mm-hmm. with men in it. With men in it, <laughs> and there was a man in there that kept trying to buy us drinks. And obviously, at that point, we were like, "Yeah, big city, this is fantastic." But also, "Yeah, big city, we could, this could be the only night that we make it out because oh we're going to be gosh. killed and we're going to die." <laughs> to cut a long story short, this man was very persistent. Mm-hmm. He said, "You go to the bar. I would like to buy you drinks. I've just had a very, um, a very big day personally." I would just like to buy you drinks. So you tell upon what you were like, I will pay, I won't touch your drinks. Hmm. So obviously we're like, that is actually really kind. We will take that offer up. Oh yeah. The conversation continued. He was like, I'm going to go to a place called XXL later. Oh, Do you want to come along? Jesus. He was like, it's just like bar, it's this bar club. They play really good music. It's like in the arches. Um, we were like, 100% yeah, we'll do that. Mm-hmm. Obviously we went along. Um, He took us, <laughs> he was like, Rather than getting in a taxi, he was mm-hmm. like, what we're going to do is get in a, a tuk-tuk. So we got a tuk-tuk from Soho to XXL. Well. Essentially, this man had just finalised his divorce <laughs> and had come into a large cash settlement. Oh, my god! So shout out to this man. I do not remember who this man was. He didn't lay a finger on 
either of us. He just was exceptionally kind. He wanted to share the joy that he felt that day <laughs> from his divorce. Um, we got to XXL, and I mean, for people that don't know what XXL is, it is essentially a wholesome it was, tea room. It was, <laughs> it was an um, an underground bear club. What so, does bear mean, Matthew? So bears are um, in the in the gay community. Bears are like traditionally older, larger, hairier men. Yeah, so at the time we were nineteen twenty. Anyway, he paid us into the bar, into the entry, paid his entry fee, and said, "Let me know if anyone tries anything. If you feel like you're uncomfortable, I'm gonna go over here. I know some people you to enjoy." Again, bought us a couple of drinks. Overall, it was a fantastic, lovely, wholesome evening. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, so obviously, that was kind of your introduction in terms of an initiation. Yeah, that was. <laughs> <laughs> one that I don't think you could make up. Oh no! Um, and then yeah, from from then we kind of went to Soho maybe three or four times a week in the first couple of months, which was intense. Um, just because it was kind of the place that we thought we had to go to. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until maybe a year or so in that kind of I discovered East London, um, and I eventually started working as a club photographer, um, in East Block, which again is a whole other story. So East Block isn't underground, oh, wow. wasn't underground bar, um. The ceiling was about four foot high, so every it was all super low. The sweat would drip down. Um, yeah, and then I, yeah, got a bit, bit exhausted with the scene mm-hmm. because it could become quite intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, it was a bit of a cycle of East Block, the Joiners, the Georgian Dragon, and it would just be a cycle. And don't get me wrong, I met so many amazing people who like I'm still connected to on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever different different connections that way. Mm. Um, and it's just interesting to see where people because a lot of those places now have shut down or changed, and um, especially people that were the same age as me, maybe that I know from uni. It's really interesting and nice now to see where people have got to now, kind of what eight, eight nine years on. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at things like Drag Race at the minute, a few of the queens on there from this season and last season come from the same world. Mm. Um, like fantastic things like Sink the Pink, mm-hmm. that all stems from that um, that East London underground world, and they are now creating enormous, fantastic things like um, Mighty Hoopla Festival and yeah. creating superstars and icons like Bimini Bamboulash. So, yeah, that is kind of, I guess, my whistle stop tour of. <laughs> my experiences in London. That leads us perfectly into our conversation with Alim, um, who has written a book on queer London. And just to let you know that this conversation does contain talk about the Admiral Duncan bombing in Soho and also the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, which some listeners may find upsetting. I'm Alan uh, and I'm a freelance writer and uh, I have a book coming out called Queer London in March. And it's a, uh, a sort of guide, a sort of the way I was the way I described it yesterday was um, the yellow pages of like LGBTQ London. Mm-hmm. So what inspired you to, to the book, to write the book, to get it out there? So they've actually approached me, the publisher. They have a series called, I think it's just called the London series. And they've done, they've done a book about art in London, a book about writers in London, a book about vinyl record shops, a book about weird, I think it's called curios and um, I think they'd seen my work that I'd done with Time Out um, specifically the article I did in 2017 or 18 about the LGBTQ community centre which sort of helped them get secure all their funding um, I met up with them in 2019 and I they said you know this is what the book looks like this is what we sort of want to do an LGBTQ themed one I think they thought it would just be like a guide with listings and mm-hmm. which it, it does have all those things it has all the all the clubs pubs bars saunas shops community <laughs> groups charities um but then i also felt that 
LGBTQ London is not just places, it's people and it's the things that have happened before. Because, you know, queer thing, unlike a piece of art, which is very physical, queerness is not. It exists mm-hmm. in a sort of transient manner. Um, and so I wanted to incorporate some of the past into it, have some little pocket pockets of history, also have a spotlight on the on some lgbtq londoners that that i view as sort of influential and have some little profiles of them so i wanted to bring all that in too and then we had and then my friend uh tim body went and did some original photography for it which is great oh beautiful mm, i've seen some tim's work and it's it's really great isn't it and and thinking about the specifics of the book um if you have one that is 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 there um like a most exciting find uh, when you're doing your research? Uh, there was actually, there was so much stuff that was really fun to uh, explore. I ended up going, so I didn't have, I didn't have much time to spend in archives because I started work and then we went into a pandemic. Um, but I did spend a couple of weeks in the Bishopsgate Institute in Liverpool, near Liverpool Street Station. And I went through old copies of, gay news and this other newspaper that was called capital gay which would come out on a friday and in capital gay every week they would it was so fabulous they would um someone would go and review the clubs and the bar well they weren't really clubs at that stage but the bars and the discos but not like a bar review more about how good they were for cruising (laughs) Which was just, and it was just so, it it was so funny reading them. They they were just filled with so much personality and just the sort of thing that you just could not get away with publishing now. Yeah. (laughs) Did they give it like a star Um, rating? No, it it wasn't. It wasn't. (laughs) It was more kind of, you know, this is the type of man you'll see here. This is the Mm -hmm. bit of the venue you want to go to if you want to catch someone's eye. Like, don't go into the toilets if you don't want to get like touched up, etc. Like okay. it was, but it was just really funny. I thought it was a funny <laughs> way of um, of like reviewing spaces rather than just being because because the spaces were so limited. There weren't there obviously weren't that many. You know, going through the issues, even you know, I think I started in nineteen eighty one or nineteen eighty two, and they had a list of all the, especially in gay news, they had a list of all the LGBTQ. I mean, they were all called gay then, but all the gay pubs. And it was very slim pickings. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I, It was just nice to see like a bit of personality in it rather mm. than it all be, this opened at this time and then it closed then. And then, you know, it was nice to, they, you know, there were lives and there were people that filled these spaces. And the, and totally. So that was, that was interesting. And then the other thing that I had no idea about was the, Portchester Hall Drag Balls, which from uh, the year after the partial decriminalisation, so 1968 Mm -hmm. until the 1980s, I think 1982, or maybe even later than that. No, no, I think around 1980. um, They ran every month. Gosh, I can't remember the names specifically of the guy. Ron something. Um, He ran a drag ball out of the Portchester Hall in West London and people from all over the UK would come and dress up in drag or and they would have pageants and they would win a prize and it was so amazing you think you know especially when you think about drag culture today it all obviously there's RuPaul Mm. and then a lot of that the references and things like that come from Paris is burning and the balls in that respect. Actually, there was there's this other kind of very it was very British side of it too. You know, they would gather around and have, drink pints out of mugs and <laughs> and someone would play a trombone. And one person told me how one of the you know one of the Cray brothers was gay, and one of he I spoke to this very nice man who lives in the Isle of Wight who told me this story about how a friend of his had got in a fight with one of these, the Cray brothers' boyfriend and he'd pulled a knife on him. And then, but by the end of the night, they were all sharing bottles of champagne and it oh just sounded, Lord. it sounded so, and, and, you know, these were like 
you know, blokes from from around the UK would come down and <laughs> dress up in in dress, you know, and it wasn't about female impersonation so much as it was. Oh, yeah, I don't know. It was. It's interesting. And then as a result of that, I saw you know, and I was I spoke to this person who was really interesting. And then in the BFI Flare Festival that was due to take place last year, which obviously changed it went online and this film didn't end up showing but there was a film um that was actually about the drag balls at the Porchester Hall so I got to see I went I got to see a copy of this film um and see what the balls were like and it kind of had a has a real charm and like magic to it and I just think people don't know that that happened you yeah. just people just don't know that that was a thing at all I think that kind of goes a little bit back to what you were saying before about um, initially the book just being more of a guide to the city, whereas now it's a it's past, present, and future. What what were your thoughts kind of behind combining the two in one? And I guess what what impact do you think it has? Yeah, it was it was it felt kind of needed. I think one there is no there actually is no lgbtq guide to london on the market like it doesn't exist Mm. you know there's the spartacus travel guides but they don't really count uh and so there is no guide so you know even if you if you did want to find out things you have to use the internet and all the information is patchy and it doesn't actually give you it doesn't actually give you any context you know you you might not for example you might say you're coming from i don't know aberdeen and you don't know anything about london and you have you're really into like alternative uh, subversive drag um but you wouldn't know where to find such a thing and you might mm-hmm. google it but be like oh i don't know i don't know if that's going to be the right sort of thing so you would go and yeah, you might go to soho because you think oh well, i know soho but you're not going to see that type of performance in soho you're going to mm-hmm. see it's a very specific you know you might be more likely to see it somewhere like the glory in east london or in the Royal Vauxhall Tavern and but you might not know about that and you might not know from looking at something like Time Out or all the other places that have these listings mm-hmm. that actually these each pocket has its own personality mm-hmm. and each venue has its own personality um, and its own story you know lots mm-hmm. of them have their own stories and you know walking down Old Compton Street you might not know that the Admiral Duncan had you know what happened there with the bomb and when i first moved to london in 2012 i similarly didn't understand what maybe my interests were in terms of where i wanted to go and obviously you go to soho you know i was 20 19 20 in the big city you go to soho obviously i'm at uni and it was like a monday was that monday tuesday wednesday all the different days of the week was in the Duncan. it was quite quiet was absolutely hammered the drag queen that was hosting started a conga line around the dance floor. There was tequilas and it was the drag queen at the bar that told me that there was a bombing in there. And I remember just being stood there, just thinking like, cause up until that point, I'd never really considered the history of not even the space, but just as me as a gay man and what it would have been like for people before. And I was thinking being in this space right now, what that would have felt like mm-hmm. to have been involved in something like that. And I think that was kind of one of the first moments I'd ever properly acknowledge like the his- the history that comes with with our with our way of with with us with our with well, our us, yeah. with us <laughs> the baggage <laughs> that we've got <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that but then you know people don't know people don't know that Al's court was like the gay village mm. for a decade you know mm-hmm. now i don't even know anyone who i don't know people who go to Al's court there's mm-hmm. nothing. There's there's a clone zone there. I couldn't should, tell you what else court looked like. Should, should but exactly you know yeah. in terms of in terms of like queer London, West London, it, there just isn't. Any, there is actually very little there. Mm-hmm. But Earl's Court was you know for a, for a period the Colhern Arms, which was in Earl's Court, and is now a different pub. But that was the most famous gay venue in the UK, and it's obviously it's gone now, but if if that stuff isn't remembered who's gonna who's gonna know i mean there are people that are interested and i don't think these things disappear forever but they are 
tucked away in academia or in documentaries and that's mm-hmm. not for that's not for everyone yeah mm-hmm. i'm so excited for this actually because so rarely like i did history in uh, gcse and we learned about the industrial revolution and the canal system and don't get me wrong there's, there's certain elements of each of those which are important to know um but to as a queer person to be to be see myself reflected within throughout history um it was very rare to to, to read about anything um because they are constantly erased from from history um especially in schools um which i think um yeah so this is very exciting um but what do you think what are your thoughts on the future of um the queer scene in in london um it's obviously it's a tricky time for people i think we've seen already you know uh it was shared in october that the admiral duncan the king's arms and the and retro bar hadn't been able to hadn't reopened and maybe might not be reopening you know stonegate inns or stonegate pubs who are the large pub conglomerate and they own the slug of lettuce and you know, they're thousands and thousands of pubs around the uk were very um cagey about giving a specific response about whether or not these these spaces would reopen they would just sort of say we you know we can't tell not while things are the way they are mm. and i'm sure there will be some casualties um because the ecosystem was already fragile mm-hmm. you know before you know in since in the last 15 years or something that six over 60 percent of london's queer spaces have closed down so if that was already a trend yeah i think this is will this will accelerate that to a degree um however having said that these things are cyclical you know they come they go they come round and round you know that if you and this is what sort of something I wanted to kind of show with the book partly was to show that yes, these things disappear and that is sad and we should mourn those and mourn that loss. But that in a, in a place like London, that does happen constantly. It's mm-hmm. constantly moving and constantly in flux and inhaling itself. And those places will close and that will be sad, especially the Admiral Duncan, which I think if, if Stonegate had a, heart they would sell that to a community group or something to mm-hmm. ensure that such a thing could live mm-hmm. on but i think it's it's both sad but also promising because as a result of these closures hopefully more grassroots community-led venues will be able to open and they have a much they're much more likely to succeed i think because and to offer more for the community because they you know, if you look at the success of something like Dawson Superstore or The Glory, you know, they're run by and for the community. They're mm-hmm. not, obviously they're a business and they want to make money, but they mean more than that. And I think you can mm-hmm. see the you can see the success in those places. And the same with someone like Ace the Word, you know, it's, there's thought and purpose and I think those things are important and those things shine through where big business and big large corporations don't necessarily care so much about the fact the heritage and you know it's just a a box in a spreadsheet for them mm-hmm. so hopefully we'll see more grassroots spaces i think we probably will even if it is pocketed elsewhere that doesn't seem convenient or seems a bit outside of central london i think we will see another space crop up mm. Awesome. I think that's a really, I'd not really ever thought about it in that way. Kind of, it's obviously sad, like the joiners when that shut down, the Georgian dragon when that shut down, obviously people are devastated, but I think if you try and take a positive view of it, I know it's difficult to do that a lot of times, especially when places have got such um, emotional connections to them. As you say, eventually it, it kind of, it's a full circle thing, isn't it? It opens up new, new opportunities um at some stage it may not be the same but i think that's quite a a nice way to to view it yeah exactly and obviously you want a a nice mixture of both i think you Mm. want Mm -hmm. things to remain yeah because you you need that but you also need you also do need new things and reinvention and Mm -hmm. um and not everything is built to last forever Mm -hmm. and some things i think 
shouldn't last forever. You know, I think Bishopsgate do a, a, an incredible job at keeping all the ephemera, mm-hmm. like flyers, and you can go through boxes of club night flyers. You know, this club night yeah. that might have only happened one time in like the upstairs of a pub in <laughs> Tottenham, but it's still, yeah. You know, the, it's though you need to have those things kept hold of, and I'm glad mm-hmm. that there isn't there is that is happening. Mm-hmm. And that's just been added to as well with the book that you've got coming out. Absolutely. So, well, maybe. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you want to give us, are you able to give us a little segment from the book? So in the book, there are these double page spreads and they're highlighted in in hot pink. And they that's where all the bits of history and sort of wider context are. And so this is a bit about the Admiral Duncan bombing. Um <clears throat> On Friday, 30th of April, 1999, at 6.36pm, at the start of bank holiday weekend, a nail bomb exploded at the Admiral Duncan, killing three people and injuring more than 70 others. It was the third in a string of bombings that took place in London during April that year, specifically targeting Black, South Asian and LGBTQ plus people. The first explosion occurred in Electric Avenue in Brixton, injuring 48 people, while a second bomb planted on Brick Lane in Shoreditch, East London, injured a further 13. The bomb at the Admiral Duncan saw the first fatalities. The device was discovered by the pub's manager, Mark Taylor, who had noticed a suspicious bag. It exploded while he was investigating. Taylor thankfully survived. Speaking to the BBC about what happened a few weeks after the attack, Taylor said, One of our bar staff recognised a package. I said, Look, I don't think this is a hoax. I think it's the real thing. I went back around to see what colour and make the bag was, and bang, that was it. Taylor had to undergo a number of surgeries. He had burns all over his body. I must have been three feet away from it. I went straight down on it, he said. I just thought, that's it. I've gone, I'm dead. Everything was just black. He was helped out of the pub to find the police outside. The explosion was described as like a thunderclap, and as something out of a war film. Jonathan Cash, who wrote the play The First Domino, based on his experience of the bombing, was, at the time, a classified ads manager for Gay Times. He told the publication in 2009 that he heard the loudest, most alien sound. I don't know how long it went on. A couple of seconds, perhaps, he said. Then the most enormous crunch of something structural and solid. I felt no pain, just terror. My eyes were ringing, my nose filled with sulfurous dust, and in the blink of an eye I saw unrecognisable shapes flying past towards the door. With the dust and smoke I could see little more than six inches in front of me. Somehow I was on the floor, then I heard screaming. I didn't make any sound, or perhaps I did, I can't remember. Two gay men, Nick Moore and John Light, and their pregnant friend, Andrea Dykes, died. They were having a drink before heading to see Mamma Mia in the West End. Dyke's husband, Julian, ended up in a coma for three weeks. Within hours of the blast, which blew off most of the pub's entrance, 22-year-old David Copeland, an engineer's assistant on the London Underground, was arrested at his home in Cove, Hampshire. Copeland had ties to the far-right British National Party and was a member of the National Socialist Movement, a neo-Nazi group. He told police he acted alone and that his intent was to spread fear, resentment and hatred through this country. It was to cause a racial war. On the 30th of June 2000, he was convicted of three counts of murder and of plotting bombs and given six concurrent life sentences. On Monday the 3rd of May 1999, thousands of people gathered for a vigil to pay tribute to the victims, with the London Gay Men Chorus leading a procession from outside the Amble Duncan down Old Compton Street and up to Soho Square. The following Friday, hundreds gathered around the venue to pay their respects, with a service of remembrance held at nearby St Anne's Church which rang its bell three times in memory of Andrea Dykes, John Light and Nick Moore. Speaking ahead of the service, LGBTQ plus activist Peter Tatchell, then a spokesperson for Outrage, a British queer rights group, said, As well as commemorating the bombed victims, we want to show our defiance against racism, homophobia and neo-Nazism. This vigil is a signal to all hate mongers that our communities will not be divided or driven underground. On June 13th, 2016, following the mass shooting at Pulse in Orlando, Florida, which left 49 people dead and 53 injured, thousands gathered outside the Admiral Duncan in solidarity with the victims and anyone affected. 
At 7pm, there was a minute's silence before 49 balloons were released and the London Gay Men Chorus sang Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water. In 2019, a vigil was held outside of a rainbow flag-adorned Admiral Duncan to mark the 20th anniversary of the bombing. Around the corner at St Anne's Gardens, you can find the Admiral Duncan Memorial Bench, designed by artist Simon Kidd, and three trees planted in memorial of Andrea Dykes, John Light and Nick Moore. To the generation that came before me, I would say that I hope they got to experience moments where it truly felt like things could and would change, as well as moments full of pride and confidence. To the generation that comes after me, I would say I hope that they get to be the generation that knows for certain that things can and will change, and that pride and confidence is a constant. So I have heard um, the story of Admiral Duncan um, from a few different people, and it does always um, it does always really get me because I think it's just quite a reminder, isn't it, that mm. um, there are people out there that harbour such hate, um, and likewise with the with the Pulse shooting um, mm-hmm. in Orlando, I think that again was quite a um, significant moment for LGBT people all around. Um, the world, not just in Orlando and in the US, but I think um, globally as well, because it was quite a sobering reminder, I think, that we are progressing in so many ways, but mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of people that we also need to get moving on the same journey. Yeah. They're still quite archaic and dangerous in their views. So, What yeah. I think um, is more important than the hate is is the way in which everyone comes together afterwards though mm-hmm. and that it mm-hmm. isn't this um retreat or because yeah. there's been one attack that we retreat and it's like well we're not safe and that's it mm-hmm. i think the fact that time and time again after all of these attacks people come together as a community and show the love and they show mm-hmm. uh, the respect and the appreciation admiration for everyone in the community yeah and yeah, the resilience of the community is is really one to behold. And I think the um and it's what I've loved about this whole series to be honest, is this the education of, of what's happened and the confirmation that no matter what happens, you can just get through it and move on to mm-hmm. the next thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you, Ellen, for um giving us a preview. Yeah, both very excited to read that book. Can't um, wait, honestly. So Queer London. Um, is out on the 22nd of March. You can get that in all gorgeous bookstores. Stunning. Um, Gazetheware.co.uk. Get that at Waterstones. Get that all of the places you can find books. Um, So yeah, be sure to pre-order that as well because pre-orders do help um, minority authors especially, making sure that they're um, seen and represented. Mm -hmm. So yeah, get that book pre-ordered. Please, please. So now we're going to speak to someone who is going to bring us into the future of LGBT London. Um, so here is Sarah Moore to talk about the London LGBTQ plus community centre. So I'm Sarah Moore. I'm one of the, uh, I guess, founding members of the community centre, a London LGBT community centre project. Um, I have been involved in the in the project right from the start and kind of been one of the the core team of volunteers who have been trying to push forward to bring the centre to life. For those that don't know or haven't heard about this project before, um, what is the London LGBTQ Centre? So the London LGBTQ Plus Community Centre is, um, at the moment, you know, we're striving to set up a safe, sober uh, space for the LGBTQ plus community to kind of exist in a in a way that doesn't uh, centre around nightlife and alcohol. And, you know, our community is, you know, so, you know, prone, I suppose, to like being around these environments. And it just is nuts that there is no real kind of space for us to just exist and hang out and have that kind of like intergenerational contact mm-hmm. um, that doesn't centre around nightlife. 
and you know nightlife is something that is obviously so important to our community and like I'm never going to suggest that we uh, <laughs> don't spend as much time as we want to partying although you know in COVID times not the easiest thing to do anymore but yeah. fingers crossed for the club's opening one day soon um but yeah we we were just a kind of bunch of volunteers who had never done anything like this before um who had a had a meeting knocked heads and thought like can we do this can we bring a, a, a space in central London to life that, you know, all of the other metropolitan cities have got, Lon you know, LA's got a fabulous one, loads of them, in fact, uh, New York, obviously, you know, and we have the Proud Trust in Manchester, which is, they've just had a 2.5 million pound, um, you know, fundraising program to purpose build an incredible centre for the community in Manchester. And, you know, they've been going for 30 years. And it's just it doesn't seem right that we don't have the same thing in London that other mm -hmm. big cities are afforded. Um, so we, we had our first kind of meeting in 2017 to just sort of see, you know, can we do it? Should we do it? Is there anybody else who's doing something similar? And then the, the next step after that first meeting, I guess, was we, we held these open meetings with, you know, hundreds of members of the community to get their thoughts on things and just be like, you know, do you think this is something we could do? Do you think London needs it? Um, and, you know, overwhelmingly people were supportive. Um, and then in 2018, we raised a hundred thousand pounds to kind of get the project off the ground. And I think that really demonstrated the urgency of, of the community needing it and the willingness for people to help chip in and pay for it and kind of for the community by the community vibes, you know, the driving force behind the project has been, you know, a dedicated team, a very small dedicated team of volunteers. And we, you know, working around our full-time jobs, we don't receive any, you know, we don't get paid for any of this work. Um, and lots of us have like very demanding, uh, very, you know, high pressure jobs. Um, and so the work over the past couple of years hasn't been the, the snazziest. It's not been the sexiest or the shiniest. It's been, you know, getting our our company registration completed, doing our accounts, uh, you know, getting our charity application sorted, um, hiring a, you know, a virtual HR system and learning how to do PAYE and like all of these things that, you know, we didn't think that we, <laughs> you know, didn't really think about it at the mm -hmm. time. Um, so yeah, it's been a big learning curve for me as somebody who I joined the project to help out kind of with the communication side of things. Cause that's what, you know, that's what my profession is. I'm a comms person, a content person, a digital campaigner primarily. Um, and so I didn't really think that I would need to kind of write government doc <laughs> governance documents or HR documents or, you know, policies or anything like that. Um, so this, you know, the, the project has grown up with the volunteers who've been uh, working on it for, for this long, but you know, we're at a really good point at the moment. And, you know, COVID has obviously been a huge, it's had a huge impact on so many of us and so many mm -hmm. people's lives. And I think that, you know, the, the research that we did in 2018 has kind of become a bit redundant. And so we need to now take the time to establish and evaluate what the community needs in this world in this day and age mm. not that the community thought that it wanted or needed in 2018 because everything has changed you know maybe we need double the amount of space that we thought that we needed initially so that we can enable social distancing or maybe we need half the amount of space because half of the you know half of the sessions half of the the programs that we will be facilitating will be done online instead mm -hmm. possibly mm -hmm. so um that's kind of one of our big projects that we're working on this year at the moment, we're in the process of hiring our first paid for member of staff, which is very exciting. Um, and that project manager will hopefully kind of take the steps to drive us forward to actually having a, a physical space this year, um, or at least having one identified that we can then put in the lengthy process of actually moving into a space, um, hopefully, yeah, within the next year or within the next couple of years is the goal. Um, but yeah, we're kind of, all, all, all of the wheels are in motion. Finally, after what's what felt like a very difficult kind of year of admin and not really knowing what to do next, um, I think the important thing is that you know ever since the pandemic struck, we've been working to kind of support the community in other ways. Like, although we are just a, a small team of volunteers, we wanted to help kind of bring community online through a program that we were running called the Queer Skills Swap. 
um, which you know was a bunch of events run by the community um, to to kind of boost people's uh, like socialization, giving people opportunities to connect online, giving people opportunities to learn new things and to share their skills, um, which was really, really beautiful. And that's definitely something we're going to continue to look into and continue to produce um, and supporting our kind of the, the other organizations that are doing incredible life-saving work on the front line, like mm-hmm. the outside project and um, opening doors and you know these other wonderful charities and groups that already exist in London so yeah it's it's really important to us to be there to um, support the community and work with the community um, and just yeah do whatever we can to kind of bring this project to life that's been so long awaited. Amazing I remember actually when it was uh, launched I think um, I was so excited because as someone who doesn't necessarily feel that comfortable in like nightlife spaces, it just seems so exciting that there'd be, yeah, like a sober space to interact with everyone and, and meet new people. Um, so I think everyone's going to be so excited to to listen to, um, yeah, where, where the project's up to date. Um, why do you think it is so important for um, an LGBTQ space in London? I think the LGBTQ plus community is disproportionately impacted by some of the issues that I think have been amplified by COVID. So, you know, feeling isolated, feeling lonely, you know, experiencing mental health issues, um, finding sometimes it difficult to find the words to explain how you feel and to to sometimes feel like you're um, alone in your experiences. Mm. And I think one of the one of the the most special moments of the project so far for me has been meeting Molly, who is the mum of a trans son. And she found out about um, an event that we were running in 2018 because she was Googling, how do I support my trans son? My son has just come out to me. I don't know what to do. She reached out to us and just wanted to meet people who were LGBTQ plus and like feel, you know, how, how she can connect to her son how she can support her son what services were out there for him what youth groups might exist all of these things and it's it's it is for our community but it's also for people like her Mm -hmm. um and imagine if she knew that this community center existed already and she could just waltz in and be like Mm -hmm. hey um you know i really want to be able to learn everything to support my son and you know signpost him to an organization that might give him the confidence and the socialization that he really wants and needs. Um, like it's, it's kind of unfair that that doesn't already exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't, so it does in so many ways, but only if you already know about yeah. like gendered intelligence and mermaids, like there's no physical space in London that you could just walk in and be like, Hey, I need to learn all these things. Um, so I think that element is really important. And I think just, tying together all of the brilliant parts of the community already under one roof could just be the most wonderful thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the community really needs it. And especially coming out of COVID, like we're, we've been so apart for so long. Mm-hmm. And even before this, we were apart for so long in, in so many ways. I think one of the scariest parts of, of COVID and one of the most dangerous is the LGBTQ people aren't as safe in their homes as so many others are. You know, lots of us could be locked down with homophobic parents, transphobic parents, transphobic housemates, people that don't understand us. Mm-hmm. And it's a scary place to be. And I think that that's definitely been taken for granted. Um, so, yeah, it really is our goal just to provide a little bit of comfort and a little bit of joy and a little bit of connection to people who just want that it is quite when you think about it like the fact that it's not in existence already mm-hmm. in in london in the capital it is just a bit mind-blowing well there, there was a center um back in the day i think it was 80s 90s mm-hmm. there, there was a, a gay and lesbian center then and there was also a black uh, gay and lesbian center but i think I mean, I don't really know the ins and outs of why it, it stopped existing, but it, it did. I think it was in Farringdon. Um, and, you know, I think it it just it just didn't last. And I, I feel mm-hmm. like that's something that we want to avoid. Like, yeah. we don't want something that's going to be up for a few years and then just crumble. Like, this has to be done right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's not like 
it's not been a you know quick let's get this done in a month here's a here's a temporary solution to a, you know a very big problem um and so we yeah we want to be we want to be getting it right but you know that's not to say that pop-ups are not a good thing because we are planning one this year which awesome. is really exciting um so yeah i mean we'll i don't really know how much to say on it to be honest but we're <laughs> We're, yeah, we're planning a pop-up hopefully for about three months um, when things are looking a little bit more, um, mm. you know, like we can actually do things <laughs> hopefully when lockdown lifts. Um, and we'll be hopefully doing this in partnership with We Exist, the, um, oh, nice. the, the trans collective who are raising money for Trans Healthcare Fund. Um, so, yeah, we're trying to source locations at the moment for that. Um, so if anybody's got a pop-up space that they would want to lend so please get in touch um but yeah I think it would be a really nice tonic to the kind of difficult times that we've had lately um obviously mm -hmm. COVID dependent to have a kind of cafe space with some signposting and some nice events and I think it will be a really great opportunity for us to hold like our because the research over the next kind of six months is going to be a big priority I think it'd be nice for us to be able to have somewhere we can hold like focus groups and um you know specific to communities and make sure that we're not isolating any one community um and bring everybody together to kind of get a full holistic mm -hmm. picture of of what people really want and need so you've just mentioned one way that people can support which is give free space <laughs> <laughs> if anybody's got like a twenty thousand square foot building that they want to just donate to us for free that'll be totally fabulous <laughs> But yeah. um, if no one's got not that no one's got that line round what else can people can people do to support so there are a bunch of different things that people can do to support so the first i guess is um consider becoming a friend of the center so you can either um set up a kind of a one-off donation or you can set up a rolling monthly donation um so that enables our you know our work to continue and for us to continue to fundraise um, to, to be able to support our work. You know, the, the community centre in Manchester costs 2.5 million. Um, we've raised 100,000, so there's still a very long way to go until we have enough money, really. I mean, we're basing that off a purpose build. It, it might not cost that much, but, you know, we don't know until we're really sourcing locations. So, yeah, setting up a monthly uh, rolling donation and becoming a friend of the centre is one way. Um, just following us on social media is a fantastic way that you can support as well. So we're at uh, London, so LDN, LGBTQ Centre, across all of the, the social media channels. Um, and and also, you know, getting involved in the community just generally. So signposting, sharing, becoming an active ally. Um, that's a, a great way of, of, of achieving our goals of, uh, you know, providing a, a better world for LGBTQ people to live in. So, yeah, lots of lots of little actions that you can take to support. To the previous generation, I guess the first thing I would say is thank you thank you so much for all the sacrifices um, and activism that you did during that time and then I would let them know that it's paid off you know we've made huge advances and I think it is you know hugely um, contributed to, to the to the work that they did so thank you to the future generation I guess I would say always be cognizant of the fact that we can move backwards as well as forwards um, and I think you know we always need to be aware of that and if we feel that we're moving in the wrong direction so regressing um, then we need to do something about it um, so never become complacent there's always work to do um, before we are you know truly living in a fully inclusive um, society. A big thank you to Sarah for chatting to us um, about the London LGBTQ plus community centre. Thank you. Um, we can't wait to see where that goes actually. Um, so if you're listening, you've heard what you can do to support. Mm -hmm. um, give them a follow on Instagram, Twitter. So just a little reminder, that's 
London, it's LDN, LGBTQ Centre. Super easy, go and do it, hit follow. It's the very least you can do. Um, you get sharing, support, and you can sign up on their website mm-hmm. and donate. But yeah, I think the fact that we are a city of this size and we don't have anything like this is um, quite mind-blowing. So mm-hmm. yeah, let's make it happen. 100%. And a big thanks to Alim as well for being a part of this episode. Um, super excited about the book. Everyone get pre-ordering and follow him on Twitter at Alim Garage, which is A-L-I-M-K-H-E-R-A-J, which is on Instagram and Twitter. What a month it's been. What a month. Oh, stunning. I feel so rich, so rich with knowledge. <laughs> I um, I don't really know what the expectation was going into this month, but I have to say every single episode mm-hmm. has been fantastic. Well, this so was grateful. This was our first LGBT History Month series, mm-hmm. so the bar bar wasn't there. We didn't have a bar, <laughs> so I think I think we've done pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm very pleased with what we've done. Mm. Yeah, thank you so much to everyone that has taken the time to chat with us for this. Yeah, it's we're incredibly grateful that you've um, had the conversations that you've had with us and shared the work that you're doing, um, the knowledge that you've got, and that you've um, helped us to share these stories and these episodes so um just a little shout out again to everyone that's taken part so thank you to ben um and freya from akt um from episode one from episode two thank you to dr tommy dickinson and matthew hinman from band conversion therapy a big thank you to Sharbins, uh, festival director at homotopia from our third episode last week and thanks again to this week's guests alim and sarah so before we go um, we just wanted to say, you may have noticed um, throughout our History Month episodes that we've had some really, really lovely quotes. Um, hopefully now you've been able to piece the voices together um, from the guests across the episodes. But firstly, just a big thank you to everyone for sharing the thoughts um, on those. But we thought we couldn't end without sharing our own um, our own answers to the question that we'd asked all of our guests to um answer so brendan what would you say to the previous generations of lgbt people before us i would say that i am so grateful for your ferocity in challenging a bigoted culture and i'm in uh, awe of the way you lived your life uh, fiercely despite this continued persecution you're the reason that i stand proud today And what would you say to the future generation? I would say, take time to learn your history. Speak to people that have walked before you, people that are still around today. Have conversations with people that are older than you that have lived before us. We have such a rich and diverse history of people and places, of movements and moments, and we can't lose those. And it's our duty to know and celebrate that part of our culture. Thank you all again for listening. Thanks we are so much. Done for the month. Mm-hmm. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to rate and subscribe. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we can't stress this enough that that is what helps us out the most, and it's what helps us get in the charts. And um, yeah, it's the best way you can support us. So please do go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review. Mm-hmm. We'll um, yeah, we'll be back to our usual bi-weekly episodes, and um, we'll be back mid-march mm-hmm. with a gorgeous guest but yeah thanks again and don't forget you're doing amazing sweetie you're doing amazing sweetie What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.